And I have a subject title that's called this. The Weapons of Mass Distraction. (laughs) Thank you, Cynthia Jones. She helped me with that title. And so um, what I'm going to talk about tonight and what I was inspired by was a recent situation. This has been stirring in my heart, this subject, because it's something that we're living in. It's a subject that you have to hear for yourself. You can't hear it for somebody else. You've got to hear it for yourself. And it's a subject that's really needed at this time because there are so many distractions in life. And I was reminded, again, as I was driving into uh, work just a couple weeks ago, I was going to drop my grandson off at the um, Chabot College for his first class. And we were at the stoplight on Foothill. And at the stoplight, the light turned, we were stopped because it was red, but it turned green. And the lady in the car in front of me, she was distracted. (laughs) And she was not paying attention. And so, you know, I waited for a little bit, but I didn't want to miss the light, so I gave her a little toot, a friendly little toot. Now, I didn't lay on the horn. I gave her a friendly little toot. And so my grandson, who was under stress because he didn't want to be late because it's his first day of class, right, and he needed to find where he was going and all those sorts of things, he kind of spoke up, and and he said this. He said, she's going to make me late. And what's wrong with people that they can't pay attention? Well, I said she was distracted and she didn't see the light. She was looking down. I don't know if she was on her phone or what she was doing, but I could see she had kids in the car. There was probably noise. She was distracted. And you know what? I've been distracted too. I've been distracted. And so you know what I'm going to do, Josh? I'm going to sow her some mercy. You know what? I'm going to sow mercy because I know that people have sowed me mercy. And so um, I don't know why she's distracted today, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for her. Lord, I just pray that you bless her with your goodness today, that you help her, whatever she needs, whatever is causing her to be distracted, you get her attention, Lord. And so... Um, you know, I think that that is something that, that really is an opportunity for a teaching moment. You know, when you come up against something that you're, you're under pressure and you're stressed, how are you going to respond? Well, it's a good thing I said to Josh that we left early. We left early, so guess what? We're going to be on time. We don't need to, you know, give her an atomic horn. That It's not necessary right now. It's not called for. So don't allow yourself to be distracted by being offended that she didn't go when the light turned green. Stay focused on your day, Josh. Stay focused. Don't be stressed. You got this. And you know, those are words of encouragement. We all know that stress increases blood pressure. It also elevates our heart rate. It causes the levels of stress hormone to be released in our bodies. And it takes a toll on our bodies and our souls. So I continued the conversation with Josh by saying, you know what I do, Josh? I 
try, I want to share something with you. I try to do these disciplines in my life. And one of the things that I work on on a daily basis is I endeavor to practice patience. Patience. You know, there's lots of opportunities to practice patience, no matter where you go. According to the dictionary, one definition of disciplines is the practice of training. And so I said, Josh, learn some disciplines in this area and practice them. You know, every area of our being, our triune being, needs disciplines. In some areas, I've practiced more, and I'm doing pretty good. Other areas, well, I'm working on it. How about you? You know, Hebrews 12, 11 says this. It says, no discipline at the present time seems joyful, but it's rather grievous, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now take note of something. When you're in training, are you going to do things perfectly? No. And this is perpetual. We're in perpetual training because we we face all sorts of things. But when you're in training, you're not going to do things perfectly. But what does practice do? Practice makes improvement. And you're going to improve every time. You're going to grow every time. You're going to develop disciplines in your life that is going to yield peaceable fruit to your soul. Amen? And that's something that the world is looking for, the peace of God. One discipline that I work on physically when I'm stressed or I'm anxious is I just simply breathe. And that's something that I practice at the stoplights. I practice when I get up. I practice when I go to the store and I'm standing in the grocery line. It's real simple. What I like to do is I like to take a deep breath. You know, down to where your diaphragm is. That's where your, your abdomen muscles attach to the chest wall. And you just breathe in just really slowly. Let's try it together. Just, and I just go one, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four. Release. One, two, three, four. Pause. One, two, three, four. It brings oxygen up to your brain. You can begin to think better. And you know what else it does? It gives you a pause for your emotions. Where you can gather your, your thoughts again. It grounds me. And I don't know about you, but I like to do things that help me to be grounded in the word and in God's character so that I'm walking in love. How about you? Grounding helps me in so many ways because it brings a calm and a peace and a harmony to my life. It will help you to respond and not to react to people, to situations, amen? Here's a few things that I do, and maybe they will help you too. I know for sure this one will. Staying full of the word and full of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Praying in the Holy Ghost when you're driving to work. Praying in the Holy Ghost when you're in the shower. Amen. Stirring yourself up. Letting the word of God feed your heart so that there's something there to draw on. Another thing, staying in communion with the Lord. Blessing people and cursing not. That's a discipline. Here's a practical thing. Leave ahead of time when you're going somewhere. Leave some white space in your schedule. I know it's a challenge, but you know what? When you're running behind, it just produces so much more stress and you're going to be so much more impatient with people. It's harder to display the love of God. You know, when I go to hit that snooze alarm for the second time, (laughs) I try to evaluate what is that 10 minutes going to cost me? Here's another thing. Being organized. (laughs) Being organized is such a help. And I try to train even my great-grandchildren in this. You know, get your clothes ready. Know where your shoes are. Put them out before you get up in the morning. Get ready. Be prepared. It reduces stress. Get your backpack. Know where it's at. You know? Another thing I do is when I arrive in the parking lot, and Joseph will tell you this because he usually he's out there watching when I arrive a lot of times. I get out of my car and I just take a pause and I stand there and I look up into the sun and I let the sun kiss my face. And I say, oh, Lord, you're so good. Thank you for your goodness today. Thank you for your anointing that I walk in it. Amen. Then, you know, another thing would be standing in the grass barefoot. That grounds you. Taking hot showers. That grounds me. Watering my plants. Watering plants is really therapeutic. And it will help to decrease stress in your life. You know, this morning I got up and I went out to water my plants. I don't get offended because I just gave them a little drink. I didn't let the water run. But it's my garden, my vegetable garden. And I put a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of labor and a lot of love into it. And I eat from it. And it was after these couple of days of the effect of heat, I'm telling you, my lettuce was starting to wither. My plants didn't look happy. My tomatoes didn't look happy. And so, you know, if you don't attend to things, like watering your garden of your soul, your soul's going to wither. And so they like that nice little drink of water. So whatever it is that you do that helps you to feel calm and grounded and peaceful, do it. Amen? Journaling. Journaling will help you feel grounded. Emotion comes out in the pen. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So I share some of these things with you physically. These are things that you can do that are practical. And they help your physically. They help your soul. They help your life. Now I'd like to share, as earlier, that this story, it fueled this message. And 
We're going to talk a little bit further about the weapons of mass destruction, not destruction. It leads to destruction. Distractions can lead to destruction, but this is the weapons of mass destruction or the spirit of offense. Don't allow the spirit of offense to grow in your spirit. You know, that's what I was trying to say to Josh. Josh, don't let that thing grow. It'll go with you through your day. It'll ruin your day. Let it go. Have you noticed that there's an evil spirit that's working in the world today? It's aggressively working, and it is the spirit of offense. Satan's mission is to divide us so that he can conquer. Amen? First Peter 5, 7 says this. Be sober. What does that mean? It means don't be under the influence of an evil spirit. The spirit of offense is an evil spirit. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. But the God of all grace, who has called us into eternal glory by Jesus Christ, that after, after you have suffered a while, do you see that there's some suffering to this walking soberly, to resisting the devil, to not yielding to the spirit of offense? There's some suffering that goes along with that. But it says this, After a while, he'll make you perfect. He will establish you. He will strengthen you. He will settle you. He will settle your soul. When you make a quality decision that you're going to walk in love, that you're not going to take offense. Amen? God has said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Let's choose blessing and not cursing. And cursing doesn't just mean swear words. It means that you choose to speak life when you want to speak death. It's a choice and it's one you get to make. Don't receive offense. You got to practice this in little things, amen? amen? Like not being offended if somebody doesn't acknowledge you because they didn't see you anyway, right? Jesus said in Luke 19:15 and 16 he was talking about receiving the kingdom of God. And he said you have to receive it like a little child. For unless you receive it as a little child, you will not be able to enter into the kingdom. You have to enter in by receiving. And the same thing is true with offense. You enter offense by receiving it. Now, offense might come to your soul and you have to deal with those thoughts, but you don't have to allow them to go down into your spirit, you know? You can do something about it. You know, we have responses to offense. And I'm going to ask you what your personal response is. Some of those would be the fight, flight, 
or freeze syndrome. So, you know, some people get really defensive when they feel that spirit of offense rising up. And you can see it, and you can hear it in their words. You can see it in their body language, in their actions. You know that they're having a challenge. Other people get loud and aggressive or become enraged. Some people decide that they're going to be passive-aggressive and just return evil for evil. We are to overcome evil, church. Overcome it with what? Good. What is the good? Having a good response. Some people just want to run away because they don't want to deal with it. They rather just isolate. Some people say, well, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to that place. Or I'm not talking to them again. And they just hide. And that's, that is the flight syndrome. We talked about the fight. That's the flight. Some people just freeze. And you know, when you feel like you're being attacked, your brain has a really hard time. The amygdala, where the fight, flight, freeze, you know, takes place, it freezes up sometimes, and you cannot formulate a response. Words just don't come. You can't think of it. And so that's another thing that happens as a response to being offended. Sometimes there's unforgiveness. Sometimes you want to get other people on your side and influence them. You know, sometimes people just use that as a spiritual response. Well, God would say this or God would do that. Well, whose side is God on? The question isn't whose side God is on. The question is whose side are you on? Are you on God's side? You know what's God's side? God's side is love. Love's way. God's side means that you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, the Lord gives us six things that he hates. I'll quickly go over them. It says that he de- they're detestable to them. He hates haughty eyes, a prideful or arrogant look. He hates a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes. A false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community and sows discord among the brethren. God says he hates that. So you know what? We're to hate it too. Strife. Division. That brings confusion. Amen? Hallelujah. It's a spirit. And we don't want to yield to it. We want to yield to the spirit of love, the spirit of unity. You know, that's when the power of God fell in the upper room, when they came into what? One accord. A spirit of unity. It doesn't mean that you agree on everything. I mean, rarely do you have more than one person in the room. And sometimes you can even disagree with yourself. You know? Your body's going, eat that ice cream. But your spare man's going, hey, resist in the name of Jesus. But it's really true. God is so good, though. He, He wants to work a spirit of unity in the church today, in the body of Christ. I'm, I'm talking about through all denominational lines. Amen. Amen. And the devil is after our unity because he's after our power. Yeah. 
So you've got to recognize who you're dealing with. You're not dealing with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Amen? Amen. So, take authority over it. Psalms 133 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, for sistren, to dwell together in unity. The New Living says it this way, How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Can't we all just get along? It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now listen to this. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Where? In that place of unity. He commands the blessing and life forevermore. He commands it. When you're blessing and you choose to bless and not to curse, I'm telling you what, God shows up and he'll command a blessing on you. He'll just do it. Jesus himself prayed that we be one. It's the glue. Love is the glue that holds that oneness together. And we need to be infused with his love. We need to come to the Father. Every day I pray, Lord, put your love in me so that I can give it away to people. And, you know, I like to drink infused water. I have these little tea bags, <laughs> botanical teas, and you just put it in the water and it just infuses the water. Or maybe I add some fruit, some strawberries, some raspberries, things like that, some lemon into my water and it infuses. But here's what I'll tell you about that. It takes time for the water to be infused. You have to be patient and you have to wait for it. But then, all of a sudden, that water takes on the flavor of whatever you're infusing it with. There are times when you just need to sit with Jesus and be infused with his love. I'll tell you, our love falls short, way short. But his love never fails. There's so many things that will distract you from that. I just want to read briefly out of 1 Corinthians about what love is and remind you. Because these are things that help us to stay on track. The word is a mirror. And it should reflect to you what God wants you to walk in. Who he calls you to be. Who you are in him and what you can do in and through him. So love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says love in the Amplified Version. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious or boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious and it does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. 
It is not rude or unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, it does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it and pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It doesn't take offense. It doesn't receive it. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Did you hear me? God's love in you will bear up under anything and everything that comes your way. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. That means his mercies that are new every morning can be in you. And you can have new mercies for other people. And believe the best. Sometimes people won't come out of things unless they have people believing in them and believing the best in them and cheering them on and loving them through it. It says this, love's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out. It never becomes obsolete and it never comes to an end. That's because God is love. And God is in you and his love is in you. To stay in the love of God, we got to release some things. We got to release offense. We got to release it from your hand. You know, offense will trap you. Did you ever hear the story about the little monkey who was being hunted? And he was, the hunters were out trying to catch this little monkey in the forest. And they put a cage with a banana in it. And the little monkey came and put his hand through the bars and picked up that banana and tried to pull it out, but it wouldn't fit through the bars of the cage. Well, he tried and tried and tried, and pretty soon the hunters came back, and they were trying to uh, catch that little monkey, and they came up, and that little monkey just would not let go of that banana, and the uh, the hunters approached and captured the little monkey. Pretty soon that little monkey found himself inside the cage along with the banana that he so desired. Because why? Because he wouldn't release it. And offense will trap you like that. And you'll be in that cage. Mm. Hallelujah. The Bible says to be angry, but to sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. So anger is an emotion God gave us. But we've got to handle it appropriately. And in a godly way. Amen. You got to deal with it. You got to talk to God about it. You got to pray about what is troubling your heart. What is offending you? You've got to watch your self-talk because you know what you'll want to do is you'll want to rehearse it again and again and again. It'll keep going over and you'll keep saying, oh, you know, they did you wrong. They did you wrong. They did you wrong. 
I remember one time somebody did me wrong and I kept saying, but that, that's not right. I have every right, Lord, to do that. I have every right to say something about that. Some situations you do. But in this situation, you know what the Lord said to me? Yes, you have every right. I said, yes, Lord, I have every right. (laughs) And then down on the inside, he said this. But love does not insist on its own rights. It's not self-seeking. I didn't need to vindicate myself. You know why? Because my father is going to vindicate me. And he's going to vindicate you. If you don't deal with offense, then the seeds of offense will be planted into the soil of your heart. Like I said, they'll attack your soul, but then they'll come into your heart. And when it plants itself in your heart, you know what that's called? It's called a, a root of bitterness. Hebrews twelve eleven says, Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springs up and troubles you. And thereby many get defiled. The NLT translation says, watch out that that poisonous root... That root of bitterness doesn't grow up and trouble you and corrupt many. You can ingest that root of bitterness. And as we read here, it's poison. The poison of offense. The poison of bitterness that is rooted in offense. And you know what? You can ingest that poison and you can hope somebody else dies. But what will happen is it'll eat you up. It'll trouble your sleep. Amen. So you've got to release it. It's toxic. Let it go. Offense, bitterness, resentment. Amen. Offense can start as an annoyance. Or resentment brought about by perceived insult to or disregard for someone or some, uh, someone's standard or principle. Those are seeds, annoyance, irritation, disgruntled, animosity, feeling put down or put out. They're seeds. Be careful you don't plant them in your garden. Amen? A root of bitterness doesn't just defile you. The Bible says it defiles others. Bitterness can become a filter that you actually see through. It will shape how you see others, and it will shape how you see yourself. And it'll affect your actions. Most of the time, the other person that you're bitter or offended by doesn't even know it. Roots produce fruit, church. And even when you don't expect it, it'll spring up, and it will express itself. And it may not have anything to do with the current situation. And most times it does not. It has to do with things in the history, in in the past, old events. And it springs up. Because why? It's, It's in there and it's growing. Offense and bitterness express themselves through words. Through the tongue. Who can tame the tongue? James says, but the human tongue can be tamed by no man. It is restless, undisciplined, evil, and full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless the Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse men who were made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth comes forth blessing and cursing. These things, my brethren, ought not so to be. So say this with me. I choose blessing and not cursing. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Don't allow yourself, church, to be distracted from the character of Christ in you by the fruit of offense and the root of bitterness. Distractions are everywhere. I go online to check my email. I get distracted by the ads and the articles that pop up on my page. And you know what? They scream for your attention. And the spirit of offense will scream for your attention. You know, I'll go and if I click on one of those little articles and I start to look at it, then it leads you to what? Another little article. And then there's this situation in this story. And before you know it, you forgot what you even went online for. Oh, yeah, I needed to check my emails. So, distractions will take you on a detour, and they will cost you. I asked you earlier if you know your responses to offense, and now I want to ask you if you know your triggers to offense. Some of the triggers are interesting. I mean, you know, uh, disrespect would be one for me. I dislike disrespect. It's a trigger. And you, you can see it in, in all generations. The younger are offended at the older. The older are offended at the young whippersnappers. Amen? They're offended at their music, or they're offended at their attitudes, or they're offended at what they wear. In both directions. I mean, the poor can be offended at the rich. And the rich can be offended at the poor. And so I'm telling you, it just goes on and on and on. Injustice is another thing. Have you ever felt like the scales of justice are out of balance? Sure you have. We all have. And how many of you know that you cannot balance those scales with the arm of your flesh? I'll tell you who establishes justice and balances the scales is God himself. God will balance the scales of justice. And you don't have to get out of walking in love to do it. You stay rooted and grounded in his word, in him, in love, and let him deal with it. Another trigger could be correction. You know, when when correction comes, that can lead to offense. What about um, when others express a different political view? Now that's a hot topic. What are you going to do? You know what? You can tell. What's on the inside of a person as to how they respond in a situation with a hot topic. If love is in you, love is going to come out of you. Like when you squeeze the toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. If offense is living on the inside of you, when you get squeezed, what's going to come out of you? Offense. And God has commanded us to walk in love. It's not even 
a, a suggestion. And so whatever keeps you from walking in love with your brothers and sisters, especially the household of faith, you better do something about it. If you got to turn off some social media, if you got to stop watching some news, then you do what you've got to do to keep peace in your heart and let God take care of it as you pray. What about if someone says something about your kids or about your mother? Those are triggers. You all have different triggers. Know your triggers so you can formulate a response and not react when it happens. Because it will happen. Amen? Let me say this. Your words of faith and power have more authority over your life and your seed than any other words of fear and doubt spoken by any other person. So don't get in fear about that. Speak the word. You know, I want to look at an account in Luke. It's an account of offense. And I'm just going to tell you about it because we don't have the scriptures to put up. But it's in Luke chapter 9. If you want to look or follow along, it's verses 51 to 56. And it came to pass when the time was come that he, Jesus, would be received up. He steadily set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face And when they went and entered into a certain village of the Samaritans to make ready for them. And the Samaritans did not receive them. There was two reasons. One, they were Jewish. So there was a racial thing. Two, because Jesus didn't recognize the Samaritan temple. And so they were offended. As a result, they wouldn't let him in. But guess who else got offended? James and John. And do you remember what they said to Jesus? They turned to Jesus and they say, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down on them? They're not receiving us. So here they are with a spirit of offense working on the inside of them. And Jesus turns to them. You know what he does? He doesn't say, oh, yes, let's do that. He says this. He rebukes them. He turns and rebukes them and he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. I have come. The son of man has not come to destroy lives, but to save them. And he went into another village. And so sometimes you can be so right that you're wrong. Hallelujah. (laughs) And you got to know what spirit you're of because it's easy to slip from the FM to the AM, amen? To be walking in the spirit one minute with the revelation of the love of God on the inside of you and to be offended in the next minute, be walking in the flesh and wanting to call fire down on people that Jesus loves. Because they don't see things the way you see them. Should I say that again? Because they don't see things the way you see them. Hallelujah. God's going to make all things right. You know, Pastor Brent has been talking a lot about Elisha. And after doing amazing exploits and seeing the hand of God and working miracles, Elijah was offended by the wicked queen Jezebel. 
He was so offended and he became so exhausted as a result of this offense. He became weary and he wanted to go into a a cave and he wanted to die. This is the man that did exploits. That watched God do miraculous things. But God was so rich in mercy and love that he sent angels to minister grace to Elijah. To Elijah. But you know something else? Elijah was not finished with his course. He had some things to do that would affect the next generation. And if he would have checked out there, it may not have happened. But, you know, he had Elijah coming up right behind him. And he had to impart to him the anointing that was on him. That next generation depended on it. And so it's so important to recognize it's not just all about us. What are we leading others to do? What examples are we giving them? We're going to close with this story, the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who asked God to arise and go into the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was about 800-mile trip from Israel. And he was to call the people to repentance because they were wicked. And if God promised that if they repented, that he would Restore some things unto them and protect them. They wouldn't be destroyed. Nineveh was not an easy city to get to. It was a three-day journey to get there. The walls of the city were 100 feet high. It required an average person uh, a, a day just to go through the immigration process, a day to visit and conduct their business, and a day to exit legally. Again, Three days to get there. Three days just to take care of business. It was like 60 miles across. That's 20 miles a day traveling. It was not an easy situation. Jonah didn't want to obey God. And he was leaning to his own understanding and reasoning. He didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. Because he knew they were the enemies of Israel. And they were going to come. And they were going to destroy Israel. If they allowed them to survive. He was angry and he was offended at God for offering them mercy. He was confused as to why God would show mercy to a non-covenant people. So he decided to run from the presence of God and his missionary call. He convinced himself to take a boast to Tarsus. (laughs) Well, you know what? You can run from God, but you're not going to get away from God. His presence is everywhere. And God sent a storm, and the men in the boat came to know by Jonah himself. There's a, it's more to the story. You can read up on it yourself. Uh, that it was Jonah and his presence that caused this storm to arise. So what do they do? They throw Jonah overboard. But you know, God's a sovereign God, and he knows all things, and he prepares all things. And he prepared a fish. doesn't say it was a well. It just says that God prepared a fish. He prepared a fish, and that fish swallowed up Jonah. And after three days and three nights, the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited up Jonah on dry ground. Jonah reluctantly at that point agreed to go to Nineveh and to declare God's message to the people. Jonah expressed his offense to God. He was hoping that God would choose a different strategy. So he built himself a shelter 
And he, he set out overlooking the city and he was just waiting for God's judgment to come down on the city of Nineveh. These wicked people that deserved it. Well, it was extremely hot. So hot that he was probably suffering heat stroke. So God prepared a plant to grow and it grew overnight and it gave Jonah shade. And God, Jonah was so blessed by this plant until God prepared a worm. And that worm came and ate the plant. Destroyed it from the roots and the plant withered and it died. And then God caused a hot east wind to arise. And Jonah became exhausted and weak. And he lamented over the death of the plant. And he let God know about his offense and his anger. And God responded by showing Jonah that he, Jonah, was more concerned about a plant, but totally unconcerned about the people of Nineveh, who he loved. Now that preaches, church, because that plant represents the issues of life that we can all be offended at. We can be so offended, again, that we enter into a spirit that is ungodly. But you know, God is so merciful and so good. And he wants to give you his mercy for people. Our response can be, Lord, I'm going to bless. And I refuse to to curse. I'm not going to curse them or that situation. I'm going to petition heaven and I'm going to pray for them. Again, it's a choice, but it's one you get to make. In Ephesians 4, 1, it says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as we are called in one hope of of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you so much for this word. We thank you that we can choose to bless and not curse. We can choose love's way. We can choose not to allow the spirit of offense to come down And take hold of us. We can choose for it not to take root. So we ask you tonight for your help. For your strength. For your love. To grow ever stronger on the inside of us. And to help us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen Amen. and amen.